The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 13th of December here in London. This is the Blue Bag Daybreak Hewitt podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Rishi Sunak sees off a Tory party revolt on Rwanda for now. Argentina announces a massive devaluation of the peso in a move dubbed economic shock therapy. And we have a special report on UK builders who are going rogue on planning rules and increasingly getting away with it. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has survived a vote on his Rwanda deportation bill and a test of his authority for now. The policy to send asylum seekers to Africa passed by a majority of 43, with 37 Tories abstaining. Tory MP Ian Duncan-Smith backs the bill, but now wants changes. There are debates around here about certain clauses where there may be some open possibilities for people to make vexatious, continuous vexation claims. So, you know, lots will be looking at whether it's feasible to kind of tighten that bit up. Duncan Smith is part of a faction who could veto the legislation next year, but any changes would aggravate Conservative moderates, which would also throw the Prime Minister's flagship policy into jeopardy. Walgreens is looking at a possible exit from Boots nearly 18 months after it scrapped a sale of the UK pharmacy chain. Bloomberg understands that the US firm is considering a London IPO as one option in a move that could value Boots at about £7 billion. A stock offering would be a big help to the London market. According to data compiled by Bloomberg, UK IPO fundraising has fallen by more than 50% this year to around a billion US dollars. Argentina has devalued the peso by 54% and announced massive public spending cuts. The moves are part of new President Javier Millet's shock therapy for the country's economy, which is battling an inflation rate north of 140%. Economy Minister Luis Caputo made the announcement in a televised address. The official exchange rate is going to go to 800 pesos so that the productive sectors have the right incentives to increase their production. The first dramatic steps by Economy Minister Luis Caputo would follows a sombre inauguration speech on Sunday when President Millet warned that Argentinians will have to endure months of pain while he works to pull the country from the economic crisis inherited from his predecessor. Now, divisions between the United States and Israel about the war are spilling into public view. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the story. President Biden very openly saying that Prime Minister Netanyahu has to change or risk losing international support. He's referring to two things. First, that after the war, Israel must be thinking about accepting the Palestinian Authority. And second, in the way in which the war is currently prosecuted. Attempting to do everything possible to prevent innocent Palestinian civilians from being being hurt, murdered, killed, lost, etc. Netanyahu, in response, says he will not accept Palestinian Authority rule. Meanwhile, the UN General Assembly has voted to call for a ceasefire. Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. 
The COP28 summit could close with a call for a global transition away from fossil fuels after Saudi Arabia signalled it will support a new agreement. The kingdom had pushed back hard on the idea of phasing down or phasing out oil and gas. However, it's understood that Saudi and other large oil producers are willing to accept the language because it allows them a large degree of discretion about how to transition. If agreed, it will be the first time fossil fuels are included in an agreement in nearly three decades of climate talks. Elon Musk's X, the social network formerly known as Twitter, is expected to miss its own ad revenue goals. According to people familiar with the matter, the platform is on track to earn roughly $2.5 billion from advertising in 2023, a big drop from sales of more than a billion dollars per quarter in 2022. Bloomberg's social media reporter Kurt Wagner says that Musk's conduct is a key issue for some advertisers. I think the issue here continues to be that, uh, you know, Musk seems to not really be aware that his own behavior is, is having this dramatic impact, or if he is, he just simply doesn't care. But I think that's really the issue more than anything, is that he's not really giving advertisers a good enough reason to, to come back. They're trying to move away from this kind of legacy brand business that, that Twitter used to have, right? And, and that's partly because I think it's inconsistent and it's, and it's uh, moving because of Elon's behavior, right? So the more they move away, from the Disney's of the world or the Coca-Cola's from the world and they get to either small and medium-sized businesses, uh, subscription revenue, data licensing, that stuff's just not going to be as impacted by the CEO's behaviour. Kurt Wagner added that X is looking for earning opportunities less likely to be influenced by the actions of its owner. The news comes, though, as another Musk-led venture, SpaceX, announces that it will sell insider shares for $97 each in a tender offer. That's a price increase which boosts the value of the space and satellite company closer to $180 billion, indicating strong investor demand. Netflix is now telling the world how many people watch its shows. Bloomberg's Charlie Pallet has the story. The company has released global mid-year viewer data for every title on its service. The first of what Netflix says will be regular reports. The political thriller The Night Agent was the most watched title globally in the first half of 2023, generating 812.1 million hours of viewing. That was followed by season two of the family drama. Ginny and Georgia, and the debut of the glorious South Korean series, Ginny and Georgia delivered the biggest audience if you consider all seasons of a show. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. In a moment, there may be intense focus on the UK's planning system, but few rogue developers are being caught. We'll discuss with our residential real estate reporter, Damien Shepherd, in just a moment. But first, has a spreadsheet ever been so exciting to read? <laughs> I've been poring over that Netflix data Charlie Pallet was just telling us about as well. Yeah, well, I, I was curious because not only obviously to see what the big titles are, but also to look at the ones that are, I suppose, very heavily promoted by Netflix. Mm. I was looking, thinking about the likes of Selling Sunset, for example. I want to see how they're, because that's quite a long way into their run. So I want to see how their viewing figures compared to other ones. The most recent season of, of Selling Sunset came in at 82 million streams. So fairly far down, if you consider that one of the seasons of Peppa Pig also had 82 million streams. <laughs> and Peppa Pig appears quite a number of times, uh, as does Paw Patrol. Well, 
I, the, it is interesting because they've released also the data. They've been under heavy industry mm. pressure to do so. They've released it by hours viewed, which I thought was was kind of fascinating. Yeah, one that I really loved is the fact that all of the seasons of the Gilmore Girls are over 60 million hours of streaming <laughs> and they all rank quite highly. So if you add them together, I think people are obviously spending quite a lot of time watching uh, not just the new series created by Netflix but some of the old ones yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely not us. We're obviously clearly much too busy to be watching quite Speak so much yourself, yeah. TV. <laughs> anyway, moving on from the Netflix story. Let's turn to the political story here in the UK. And Rishi Sunak fended off rebels and won a parliamentary vote on legislation to greenlight his signature plan to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. But it is far from a resolution of the issue. Joining us now to discuss Bloomberg UK Politics podcast producer and reporter James Wilcock. James, great to have you with us. So Rishi Sunak survived the vote. What does it mean now for his premiership? Well, I mean, Stephen, given your newfound love of drama, I'm going to hope to try and deliver with what's happening in Westminster last night. In short, both sides blinked. Uh, a lot of the sort of Downing Street staff were saying that if they were to lose this vote, it would be an historic defeat that would spell the beginning of the end for Rishi Sunak. So for him to secure a majority of 44 is a win. It is an unalloyed win and is worth saying that at the start. But it is a win that leaves very little resolve for the Prime Minister. It is the second reading, which means that you vote for the bill in principle. You don't vote for all the bits of it. It doesn't become law immediately. It doesn't go to the House of Lords. That all still needs to happen. And the ERG, the hardliners who fought against this vote, say that Sunak, behind the scenes, promised them amendments. Amendments that would make the moderates not back the bill. So when this comes back in January, we are set to have this whole thing happen again. Uh, And crucially in that vote, although Sunak got quite a comfortable majority of 44, there were 38 abstentions. And as you know from parliamentary arithmetic, if you abstain, that's one thing. If you vote against, that works doubly hard to get down the bill. Those numbers are enough to kill a future version of this bill. Mm. So both sides can claim that they won here and it does nothing but delay the drama in Westminster through to the next year. But surely this is part of the problem, that we're talking about a Conservative Party that is cleaved down the middle where there are two sides within the Tory party. Labour's Keir Starmer obviously um, you know, addressing that, talking to that, um, saying that the Tories are, quote, fighting like rats in a sack. He obviously will point to that and he will be doing his best electorally as a Labour leader to point to Keir Starmer, sorry, to point to Liz Truss and point to Boris Johnson and Partygate and try and draw a connection between the party of the modern day and under Rishi Sunak and that of last year. Um, the question is, though, is what would Labour do differently on migration? And that is what Rishi Sunak is very pleased to be saying this morning, because the one thing that this majority gives him is he can say, I've got a plan. My MPs voted for that plan. Sure, it was difficult, but migration is a hard decision. What's your alternative? So this does, again, give Rishi Sunak a out to be able to push Labour and go, well, excuse me, what is your concern otherwise? So it is worth saying, Caroline, yesterday things looked very, very, very bleak. I mean, the government was even flying its COP climate minister, Graham Stewart, back to vote on this. Mm. It was tense, uh, but this gives them a reprieve for Christmas, effectively. James, meanwhile, the UK being warned that it's at high risk of a catastrophic ransomware attack. Uh, from a parliamentary report, this is. Yes, I mean, this is from a select committee chaired by Margaret Beckett, who has been a guest on our podcast in the past. It warns the UK could face a bill of £29 billion, which is 1.6% of GDP, if it doesn't protect itself better, not to mention the risks of election interference. I mean, the dangers 
here, Stephen, is there are big, serious questions. Like, there's questions over UK's future industrial strategy. There are Rishi's other four pledges outside of just stopping the boats. The kind of drama in Westminster we see last night does question how far Rishi Sunak can command an agenda to deal with, frankly, the boring bits of politics, the bits that won't make it into Netflix. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Lord Harrington, who was on the programme only yesterday, was um, saying that exact you know issue that immigration has taken up an awful lot of uh, you know the, the time uh, at Downing Street um, over the last few days. Thank you so much for being with us. James Walcock, our Bloomberg UK Politics podcast producer and reporter then on the latest in uh, UK politics. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We're going to stay in the UK for our next story to um, a conversation about home building and how some developers are escaping sanctions for breaking planning rules. Freedom of information requests compiled by Bloomberg show the number of cases opened in relation to alleged breaches of planning permission has almost halved since 2010. Joining us now with the details, our residential real estate reporter, Damien Shepherd. Damien, good morning to you. One high-profile incident recently in London of rogue development that got a lot of attention. Tell us about what happened. Yeah, so we're talking about the key development in Woolwich, the old military town in London. Um, now, just to sort of take you back, um, planning in a planning agreement, there's a strict set of rules in place to ensure that developers are building as the agreement told them to. It's there to protect neighbours and often the integrity of the area. Woolwich being an, an old military town, it was quite important that this luxury apartment block looked like a luxury apartment block. But the reality was a rather rudimentary design um, which didn't deliver on its promises of disabled access, commercial space, um, and the balconies were too small, the windows were too small. There were a lot of reasons for planning enforcement to be pretty annoyed um, at the way the building was uh, erected. Um, But the reality is this is one case of planning enforcement getting it right. Uh, The freedom of information requests show that the amount of uh, planning enforcement happening in local authorities has more than halved since 2010. So while this is an example of them getting it right, there's a lot of neighbours in areas where these rogue developments are happening that will be looking out their window and thinking, why are these not getting caught? Yeah, I like the fact that you started by saying that that it's a strict set of rules. I mean, it's not if you don't abide by them. And Mars Key got so much attention because the developers have been told to tear the building down, which is kind of extraordinary in the UK. And I think you would say pretty rare, wouldn't you? I mean, are offenders being caught? Well, no, I mean, yeah, we've got this exclusive data. I went to, uh, you know, dozens of local authorities around the UK, 17 in London too. Uh, and like I say, the, the amount of um, developers getting caught has uh, halved roughly in the last uh, 10 years. Um, and in that period of time, housing construction, albeit from a low base, has actually risen. Um, so while construction has gone up, 
the amount of rogue buildings, uh, you know, being caught in the act are going down. The London Borough of Hounslow handed out 21 enforcements last year compared to 150 in 2014. Now, I was speaking to a planner yesterday who said her father used to be an enforcement officer and he used to literally walk around Westminster looking at buildings that were being developed and checking that they were uh, being built in the way that they should. So there's clearly a contrast happening now in planning departments compared to how it used to be. And why is it that more of these rogue developments aren't being caught? Yeah, well, I saw an interesting survey uh, during my reporting that said that nine in 10 local authorities have a backlog of enforcement notices. Um, Eight in 10 planning teams say that not enough staff are in the departments to carry out the workload. Um, And this essentially all comes down to resource. There's not enough funding in these planning departments. There's not enough staff. um, And this is leading to simply, as I say, not enough uh, people in these departments to carry out the workload. We've seen this year Birmingham and Nottingham councils warning of being in financial distress. And until more money's flowing into these local councils, uh, there were people looking out their windows, uh, hearing loud construction noise and wondering if everything is being done legitimately. Yeah, Okay. Um, Meanwhile, lots of uh, pressure in this area because political parties are vowing to improve the planning system. Yeah, so earlier this year at the Labour uh, Party conference, um, there was a vow to hike stamp duty for foreign home buyers and use it to improve the planning system. Now, the Tories kind of retaliated to that uh, in their party conference, announcing plans to let homeowners split their house into two flats without the need for planning permission. Uh, Now, I've spoken to a few folk in in the real estate industry about this, uh, and there's a real concern from an enforcement point of view, uh, that allowing a house to be split into two flats without the need for planning permission is kind of a soft approach towards enforcement. So we've seen this data um, on, on the amount of enforcement tumbling since 2010. And given now that the rules on planning are being relaxed, which albeit could be a good thing for the amount of homes in this country, I think there'll be a lot more concern around the rogue developments that are happening. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.